Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I'm really looking forward to chatting with award-winning content marketing writer, Bull Garlington. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Bull. Hey, thank you. Nice to be here. Well, thanks so much for being here. How about getting us started by introducing yourself? Sure. My name is uh, Bill Garlington. I'm a content article writer for uh, small businesses that are using uh, written content to market their products and expand their knowledge base. Okay. Wow. That was, you packed a lot of information into that short, uh, <laughs> <laughs> short description. Uh, so, okay. So maybe we should start at the beginning. What is content marketing? For small businesses and medium businesses, for any business, but I deal with the, the small guys and the medium-sized guys. Uh, one of the ways that they market their businesses is with a blog or with uh, content online, which can be anything from written blog posts to video to podcasts like yours. And I, I focus on uh, blog posts. And what they do is they provide a target for Google and Bing and, and Yahoo to find that business online, which is where most people are looking for services and goods all the time anyway. So content marketing is, for me, is, is basically writing articles that direct potential customers to a business's website. Okay. And I understand that you work with some law firms and lawyers. Does content marketing really work for lawyers? I think it works for all businesses, but especially for lawyers. Because if you think about it, what is happening when a person is looking for a lawyer is normally that person is in a, a, a crisis mode. And so when people are in crisis mode, one of the things they do is they go online and look for information to help them solve their crisis. And if they're looking for a lawyer, they, obviously they're going to go online to do that. So a lawyer that works in a specific niche if they have content on their blog that answers the questions that relate to a potential client's crisis, then um, those people are going to land on that website through Google. And if the law firm's content answers the question and reassures those clients that that law firm is knowledgeable for that particular problem, then um, it builds an instantaneous trust uh, and validity with the potential client. And normally they'll, well, I say normally, hopefully they'll click through and make a phone call or fill out a form. Right, right. And how, you know, how, how can you drive people to your blog? Like, are there any specific content marketing best practices for lawyers? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think that one of the most important ones is search engine optimization or SEO. It's a buzzword in marketing, but it's a buzzword for a reason. And that is that you really need to have content that is uh, competitive in the search engines so that you want to always land in the top 10 results and ideally in the top three results when people are searching. So if somebody is searching for, <laughs> my office stares out, looks out at my neighbor's House. So I'm sorry, my example is sort of extremely local, but if you're looking for fence dispute, 
Right. <laughs> and I'm not disputing my fence, the na- my neighbor, but I just happen to see my fence. And that's something that happens in, in, you know, people get, they're like, Hey, you're two inches over my property line. They're like, ah, we're going to war. And so suddenly you need a lawyer for that. You know, if, if you are a lawyer and you specialize in property law, then you're going to want some articles up on your website that address every single aspect of property law, including fence disputes. And if you have that information out there, and if you have an article that is properly formatted and has the uh, keywords and the phrases that someone would type into Google when they're trying to educate themselves about their fence dispute, then more than likely your articles will come up in their search. And if they do, and you have your articles, again, formatted well, then what will happen is they'll immediately see that your articles seem to speak to them or seem to solve their problem, and they'll click on it and go right to your website. And bingo, bango, you've got a customer. Makes really good sense. I guess for me, just coming at it from the writer's perspective, I've read so many articles that sound like they're generated exactly for that purpose, you know, to increase or optimize the SEO, or maybe that's not the right way to say it, but you know what I mean, to increase the likelihood that people are going to click on their article. Uh, So (laughs) how do you balance that creating better SEO with creating an article that sounds authentic and gives me a good sense of what this law firm or this lawyer really is all about. Well, that's a tough one. That really is the sweet spot in, in content article marketing. And because uh, a, lot of, a lot of articles uh, kind of sound like they're written by a washing machine. Mm-hmm. Because the, what the people do is they just plug in all the keywords and they try to make sure that their article has all those keywords sprinkled through it. And they really don't, they forget that uh, the experience that they're curating with this article is a human experience. You know, there's a person reading these words. So the experience that you're putting out there, you need to consider that. You need to consider that a person is reading it. And it's not just about the the SEO. And it's not just about doing everything you can to get in the search results. That being said, your first reader is a machine. Your first reader is Google, and it is an algorithm, and that is vital that people understand that. But the your target reader is not a machine. Your target reader is a person, and you need to write in language that is uh, that meets your reader in their most common space. And so, if you're looking for people that are, um, if you if your law firm specializes in in handling. Um, uh, immigrant taxi driver medallion disputes in New York, for instance, um, you can't write in uh, American collegiate academic level English because most of these guys are using English as a second or third language. You have to write in the in a language that meets their expectations. You just have to use language that addresses your customer in or your potential customer um, where they're most comfortable, where they're most used to to reading. So knowing your audience or your target audience, as, as you say, is absolutely key. 
But are you saying that we should be thinking more about that audience versus the machine that you said sort of first and foremost we're writing for when we're trying to increase the likelihood that people are going to read our, our articles or ultimately hire us? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an art. And, you know, you have to balance those two things. The first thing you always have to consider is um, how to get the attention and trust of the algorithm. So you have to provide the the correct information on your on in your article. You have to use the the key phrases that your target audience is typing into Google, which is this is the most important thing to understand is you have to put yourself in the seat of the person who's having a crisis. And so um, when they um, when they realize, oh my God, I need a lawyer, then you have to think of what they're doing when they sit down at their desk or wherever they are. And they begin to search. What is the first thing that they type in? What is the second and third thing that they type in? And what kind of questions are they asking, you know, the, the oracle of the internet to, to help them figure out what to do? Because the first thing people usually are trying to do is to educate themselves because they know that they've got a problem and they know they might need a lawyer, but they're like, how do I know which kind of lawyer I need? And what is my actual problem? And, and so, you have to understand what they're typing in because the phrase that they're typing into Google is the most important phrase um, in your article, not because it informs the reader, but because it matches their expectations. And that is what the machine is looking for. That's what the algorithm is looking for. Right. And to be peppering that keyword or phrase throughout the article, I imagine, is, is something... Right. Well, I like to use the word weaving because I like to make a distinction. And the distinction is that um, once you understand, once you do all the work that is necessary to um, build a target to reach these people that are in their fence dispute crisis, the next thing to do is to weave those phrases into your article in the appropriate places and in a way that makes sense to the reader. Because if you if you just if you just throw the words at the article, then the reader is going to notice that you you mentioned earlier you've read articles that sound like um, they were just you know written to capture the keywords, and so many are like that. And these new um, artificial intelligence uh, generated articles are like that. They just read flat, and they and their efforts to use all of the keywords are so obvious that the reader doesn't really find any purchase in the article. They don't have anywhere to land. You need to have somebody that understands how to use language and how to write a, a, a nicely written piece of work so that the reader isn't thrown off by, you know, these jarring sudden appearances of the key phrase. Uh, if you don't do that, the re people are, are not stupid. People are savvy. And if, if they recognize your article is just there to, to, get their click, uh, they're gone. They're going to jump because they're going to be like, I'm not, they, they don't want to be um, taken advantage of. For sure. And no one likes to feel like they're, you know, someone's trying to sell them something or manipulate them in, in that kind of way. So how, how do you do that subtly? Um, you said to, you know, put the keywords in the right places. Any sort of advice on where, like, where are those places? The best way for someone who's not really familiar with how to do SEO editing 
is to use a plugin on WordPress called Yoast. And that or and that play that's assuming you use most people are using WordPress to to make their art the their um website. And they're either going to use this plugin called Yoast or one called All in One SEO. Either one is very good. And these uh, applications have been used for years and they've been honed to perfection for years by data analysts and by the people that built the applications. They're exceptionally capable of scoring your SEO and they give you detailed instructions about they kind of follow you as you write the article and then as you edit the article and they give you um, cogent suggestions, you know, like uh, you don't have your keyword phrase is not listed in enough of your headlines in your subheads. You need to add it to some more, or it'll say your art doesn't have your keyword in the description. You need to add it there. If you use one of those applications, I mean, they kind of make it a no brainer in a lot of ways. And, and that'll definitely help you. Um, the other way to do it is just to kind of read articles about how search engine optimization works and to teach yourself um, what makes an article competitive. And you also have to, you have to ask yourself, you know, what your goal is for your content marketing. Are you going for leads? Usually law firms are going for leads, but there's other reasons to do it. One of the buzzwords in, in, in marketing is thought leadership. And I've always, it's gotten to the point where I, I hate hearing those words. Um, it just immediately, as soon as I hear them, I'm like, oh God, I'm going to have to listen to, you know, 14 paragraphs of somebody talk about thought leadership. And, but the, the fact is that if you're a person in your industry, that's a um, sort of a mover and a shaker, you are a person who drives the, the ideas and the, and basically the thoughts and, and the concepts of your industry, you're one of the people that sort of shapes those. And if you're, if you want to become one of those people, then you're going to want to write articles that aren't exactly about capturing traffic and are more about showing your authority in that area. So let's say a partner at a law firm wants to show her authority in a certain niche, then what she would want to do is is to sit down and think about, kind of break down what her law firm does and how they face the issues that they the, the the crises that they're trying to solve for their clients, and turn each one of those into one or two articles and begin to write those and, and to build up that that sort of uh, thought leadership target. It's also kind of making yourself a subject matter expert, an SME, and which is very important in some law, especially in trademark law and, and in uh, intellectual property law. Um, being a subject matter expert is very similar to being a thought leader. The other thing is, is it, are you just trying to develop traffic? So some websites, for instance, they are not there to get leads. They're there to sell advertisement. They're there to make money on people that are clicking through and, and surfing the web and land on that website. Um, for instance, uh, some of the magazines that I write for are really about the traffic. Um, they're not trying to get leads. They don't provide that kind of a service. Their service is publication. And so one of the things that I do is, and one of the things that, that uh, such a, a business needs to do is to recognize who is reading their, their website 
and what kind of things those people are interested in, where their headspace is at. And uh, once you understand that, then, and that's not always a matter of crises, the way like, you know, a, a law firm is always looking at people that are, um, you know, either their, their life or their, their freedom or their bank account is on the line. And so their articles have to recognize that. A publication isn't that way. A publication is more about capturing somebody um, who's searching for not necessarily to solve a problem, but to fill a couple of minutes with an interesting read. And so you need to be able to provide an interesting read for them. And so that's another way to look at, at the content that you provide. Yeah, interest. I think I know that sometimes can be a bit challenging when we're talking about lawyers. Um, you know, not not to say that what lawyers do isn't interesting, but it, it, in terms of the um, the blog posts that I've read and um, the websites that I've 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 seen, it's the rare one where you read an article that's like really interesting, really captivates um, your attention and draws you in. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> As a writer, my first thought is, oh, dang, you know, they could probably do better. But the reason is that they probably didn't hire writers to write those articles. They probably had somebody in their office write them, you know, and, and so whoever wrote them, it's probably like the third or fourth thing they've ever written. And so, you know, it's, it's going to be very stilted and very blank. And they're, they're terrified. They have what I call fear of the first word. Which is they, you know, you get a guy in accounting. You say, "Hey, we need an article about, you know, how to how to figure out the cost of a of a case." And that guy's like, "Good, you should hire a writer." Like, "No, you're going to do it." And he's like, "Oh my god!" And so that guy has to sit down at his laptop and uh, and write an article, which he's probably never done, or maybe he might have done three or four times in his life. It's just not part of his job. But you know, the office says we need it, and so now they sit down and they're and they're looking at their screen and they're like, "Oh my god." What do I do? And they're they're so afraid that the words they use are going to be wrong, and and uh, and so it, it paralyzes them. And uh, even when they finally are able to put words down on the page, they do it with such caution that the article reads kind of timidly. And I I'm it's it's a sad thing that people do, but. That's why you have those articles that you were talking about. It's just somebody in the office that was scripted to write that thing, and uh, and they're terrified. Yeah, and it's like, okay, we have to do this. We've heard that we have to, you know, do more content marketing or have a blog or whatever, and so it really does feel like they're just going through the motions. Yeah, and it's not as effective as it could be because of all the things that that you're talking about. So I'm just wondering too, like. Okay, I certainly see the benefit in hiring um, a writer because there is that creative aspect to it. And also, I think there's some benefit to having someone from the outside helping the lawyer identify the target audience and, and what their pain points, as you were describing, might be. What are the kinds of questions they might be asking when they're sitting there uh, at their computer starting their search? So a lot of benefits to hiring someone, but let's say, you know, you're a small outfit um, or you just, you know, want to do it on your own. Any sort of pointers that you might pass on? Well, I'm kind of a snob in that regard. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I have a vested interest in this and, and I have seen the differences between um, people that try to 
do it themselves and people that hire a professional. And what I always tell people is this. Um, yeah, I know you're a small business and I know that you maybe you're a one man shop, but let's say you have an office and you know, you're on the, the 23rd floor and your window pops open and you can't get it shut for, for any reason, no matter what you try, it won't shut. It's, it's open two inches and it's just frozen there forever. You know, and there's a pigeon on the ledge. It's like, that looks pretty tasty. I might try to come through that hole. And what do you do? Do you go on YouTube and spend four hours trying to figure out how to, how to fix a window? And in doing that, ignore the clients that you have and, and the other work that you have to do during that four hours? Or do you um, call a window guy hmm. who spent their entire life fixing windows and can come in and do that in about 20 minutes? And do it correctly and tell you why it happened and how you can prevent it from happening in the future. You know, if, you're, if your sink explodes at your home, do you go to Google and say, hmm, how do I fix sinks? No, you call a plumber <laughs> and you say, be here in an hour, please. And when they show up and they charge you 150 bucks for 22 minutes of work, you don't blink. You say, of course, because they're an expert and they're doing something that you don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. And it it's you're using your time wisely. You know, there's this uh, sort of a, a marketing um, legend kind of story that went around for, for many years. And I used to know who started it, but now I can't remember the guy's name. But it went like this. Um, it's it's called Frank Sinatra never moved his own piano. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's the whole gist of the story. And what it means is this. Frank Sinatra would show up to a concert, even when he was sort of a new kind of, you know, a, a young kind of performer, he, he did not move his own piano. He didn't push it around the stage. He, he didn't do any of that stuff. He hired people to do it. And somebody asked him one time, said, man, you could save so much money if you'd move your own piano. And he goes, there are people for that. My job is to sing. And I think that that's an important metaphor in a lot of ways is you need to do the thing that you're supposed to be doing. And when it comes to other stuff, you need to hire out because in the long run, when people read the stories on your website, there's stuff that's happening when they're reading those stories that is intangible and invisible and not obvious. The most important of those things is trust. And when you have an article that is good that is informative, and most importantly, is rewarding for the reader, then those readers don't think to themselves, gosh, this writer is fantastic. I really trust them. What they think is this company is fantastic. I really trust them. And so hiring people that are good writers to write your content, what you're really doing is you're building trust with your potential clients and existing clients, because they read an article and instantly develop a kind of, uh, they become branded, they develop trust, they recognize your authority. They attribute that always to the law firm that's publishing it, not to the person who wrote the article. Definitely, definitely. I I, I really agree with that. But I'm also thinking that there's a lot of benefit to kind of knowing how to craft either like that from that bird's eye view, how to craft a an effective article so that you can provide instructions and you can guide the person that you hire 
as well. Because it's very hard, I find, to identify if something isn't just, it's just not working to be able to have that vocabulary to say, okay, it's not working because, hmm, let's think, uh, this headline doesn't quite jive with what's in that first paragraph. Or, I mean, I know I'm just kind of like grasping here for an example, but I just find it's really helpful to have that vocabulary to be able to oversee the process, like to give over 100% to a writer for something as important as a uh, content uh, marketing, I, I think I would have a hard time with that. Yeah, it is a skill that you need to learn. And, and if somebody is going to hire a writer, and frankly, if they're going to do it themselves, uh, they need to understand how a story is structured. They need to understand the key deliverables that should that should should come with a story that's finished. And so I agree with you. And, and the only way to do that is to kind of do some research and and you know, they can go and, and read an article um, about what goes into good. I just wrote an article about what goes into a good story. It's an attorney at work and it's called How to Write the Perfect Post. And it kind of goes through every single aspect of what makes a great post great and what makes it successful, both in, in terms of how it informs and how it lands in the search engines. If you can learn what the components are of a good story, then you can give good direction to a writer or to a staff member or to your marketing people, and you have appropriate expectations. So yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I think one of the great things you could do is to read, um, there are some very good books out there. Um, there's one by um, Andy Crestadina, who's a Chicago uh, marketing guy at Orbit Media. And he has a book called, uh, I'm going to get this wrong here, but uh well, it's about content. His name is Andy Crestadita, so <laughs> look it up. Uh, it's a really good article, and his posts on LinkedIn are so good that sometimes I just feel like I shouldn't even try. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just his his understanding of of the structure of what goes into a good article is is excellent education. Everybody should go to his website and uh, and check it out. Hopefully, one day I'll have similar things on my website, but I'm oftentimes too busy to put those on there. But you have this great article that you just mentioned, How to Write a Perfect Post on Attorney at Work's blog. So maybe we can jump to that. Like, What are some of the key features that would be helpful to highlight sort of just, you know, in, in a general sense? I think that the, the most important thing is to know who you're talking to, who you're writing to, and understand where they're coming from. And once you understand that, then it's much easier for you to address that particular topic in a way that that informs them and talks to them, you know, and, and so that's, that's the most important thing is to understand who you're writing to and why you're writing to them. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's about, like I said, using for the SEO part, it's about using the correct uh, search terms. But finally for the writing, once you get over the bones and, and the architecture of the story that are all the behind the scenes stuff, you know, finally what you have is the, the text itself and, and the narrative itself. And I think the most important thing there is for people to, especially for DIY um, businesses that, that are just, they don't have a budget for this. So they got to do it themselves, you know, or, a, you know, a law firm that's like one or two people and they just don't have the budget. And I understand that. And I think the thing for them to, Remember is that an article on your blog is it's just you talking to somebody. And when you sit down to write it, no one's going to read that article until you hit public, until you click publish. No one's going to read it. So 
I try to get people to write intentionally badly. <laughs> and, and uh, it, you know, I, I used to teach a class before COVID, uh, <laughs> and it was called Curse Your Way to Better Writing. And what I would do is I would have people, I would say, I want you to write the opening paragraph for a blog post about, you know, blah, 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 hairbrushes. I don't know. And they would, they would write the article post and I would, you know, I pick up people and they read it out loud. It was absolutely horrible. It was just horrible. It was clearly filled with fear and, uh, and they would write, they were like tiptoeing through, um, you know, those 120 words and I say, okay, now let's do it again. But this time I'm going to curse like a sailor who stubbed their toe. And, and I said, have no reservations, use the very worst words, the most terrifying, embarrassing things you can say, but curse luridly throughout that paragraph. And so then they would write it and they would do, as I instructed, they would F-bomb that thing like it was World War II. And I would say, okay, now cross out all the curse words. And I say, delete those, now read what you have. And they would read that, that paragraph and suddenly it was uh, lively and it had some energy to it and it was uh, more vivid and more importantly, it was written in a positive and direct tone. That is what you're looking for. And the reason for that is that um, A, uh, cursing is actually part of the creative mind. And B, they knew that nobody was going to read that paragraph because they weren't about to let anybody read that paragraph because it was laden with you know 3 a.m. dialogue, not primetime dialogue. Once they'd lost the fear that people were going to read what they were writing, they were able to write with greater ease and without fear and caution. And their writing was automatically, without even any other education or any other training or anything, their writing was automatically 50% better minimum, simply by eliminating that fear. And so I think for people that are DIY content uh, marketers, that they need to write a lot of drafts. You know, if they've got a WordPress blog, then they need to start writing articles and not publishing them and, and write articles. And, you know, if, if let's, let's keep using the fence dispute thing, write an article about fence dispute. That's like, this is my fricking fence and I'm going to fricking keep it. And except, you know, not fricking and write an article that is absurd and stupid and idiotic and and knowing that no one is going to read that article and you think to yourself gee chris that's terrible advice sorry that's i said chris my name is chris everyone calls me bull that's my byline and like that's terrible advice that's a waste of time and i would say no it's not a waste of time because there's no way you're going to make it past the second paragraph without starting to write an informative piece and and because all this is doing is getting you over your fear and once you do that, you'll write more fluidly and more easily. You can always go back and edit your article a million times. Revision is everything. Revision is 90% of the work. And so once you finish that article, go back and revise it and keep doing that until you've got it massaged down to where you think it's good enough to publish. And then you let people read it. Oh my goodness. I like, I think that is just so, so fantastic on so many levels because confidence or lack of confidence is so key in writing. And a lot of people don't 
think of that. I think it's just words on the page and there's a formula or a structure to follow or there's a precedent to use and fill in the blanks and that kind of thing. But it's so much of it is that fear of, oh my goodness, what are people going to think of me? Or I'm Mm going to get something wrong. Uh, You know, all of that, but then just write it like so bad. What was the, how did you describe it at the outset? The name of the course? Curse your way to better writing. Curse your way to better writing. I just, I love that. I love that. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm going to steal it. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Sure. I mean, anytime. Uh, it, it's a, it's an easy exercise to do, you know, and you can, you know, if you're doing a class, I, I mean, when I was doing it in person, I would make it really dramatic. I would make sure that whoever was the, um, you know, the office manager, whoever, who had hired me, I would say, you're going to need to leave now. <laughs> and, and I would get them out of the room and I would shut the door and I'd say, everybody air gap your computers, you know, and, and, and then I'm like, all right, now, and they would do it because the most important thing is for people to realize that no one's going to read your words until you're ready for them to. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's another thing, though. And here's another thing that's important. And that is, there's an aspect of writing that comes from simply having done it for a long time. And there's no way around that. Um, and there's another course I used to teach. It was basically for people that wanted to be authors, um, you know, especially people in the business community. And it was called how to finish a book because everyone teaches you how to write a book. And they're like, here's how you structure a book. And here's how you write characters. And here's how you do nonfiction structure. But no one actually teaches you how to finish your book. <laughs> and so there's all these people out there that have, you know, they're 20,000 words into a book and they're never going to finish it because they don't know how to keep going. And so I used to teach that. But the very first thing that I showed everybody was a slide and it was this mountain of books and on the far left side, there was a little dot and it said, you are here. And, and I said, there's no way around this. You have to write your way up. Um, S word mountain. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if I can curse on your show. Yeah, but, sure. <laughs> you, have to, you have to write your way up shit mountain. That's just the way it is. Everything. When you begin to write, if you haven't written before, everything you write is going to sound like crap. I mean, just think to yourself, I, again, I'm a bit of a snob about this. I'm kind of sensitive about it, but everybody thinks that they can be a writer. Mm-hmm. No one ever says, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to be a concert violinist. You know, No one listens to Itchak Perlman and says, get me a violin. I'm going to do that tomorrow because they know that it's going to take them years of practice to even get halfway decent. No one thinks about that when they want to write. They think, ah, anybody can do that. But the truth is, it takes practice, too. Writing doesn't have scales or any kind of uh, actual practice like that. Writing, you get better at it simply by doing it. So if a person runs, let's say somebody runs a small firm or a single person firm. They're a remote firm out in Iowa. Um, and, you know, they've got a uh, they've got a dedicated but small client list. They want to grow. They want to show their authority in, in their niche. Um, and they, they want to be a bigger target on the radar of potential clients, potential third-party law firms, et cetera, so forth. Um, and they go, I'm going to write articles to do this. I think that's wonderful, and they definitely should. But they have to recognize that if they have not done this already, that they are learning how as they go. And so just like if you're learning how to play the piano or be a plumber, the first couple of times you do it, it's going to suck. And it is very easy to get really discouraged in that moment because people just don't realize how hard, I say hard, how experience matters when it comes to writing. 
Mm-hmm. And so their first couple of things they write are going to sound like they were written by, uh, you know, a not very smart person who got hit by a truck and fell on top of a typewriter. <laughs> and, and so, and, and they're going to go, what is wrong with me? I'm so dumb. And the tr- that's not it at all. It's just like uh, to wear this metaphor into the ground. If you picked up the fiddle tomorrow, you're not going to sound like Itchek Perlman. And for those of you who don't know who Itchek Perlman is, he's one of the greatest violinist players. You're not going to sound like Yo-Yo Ma if you pick up a cello tomorrow. You're going to sound like your cousin Frank just picked up a cello because that's who you are. And that's where you are. For people that are going to DIY their content marketing, I strongly recommend that they journal every day. They take some time every day to write. And it doesn't matter what they write about. What matters is they do the action. They, they perform the action of writing. Because, again, you're climbing your way up shit mountain. And everything you write is, part of, is a step in that climb. It doesn't matter what it is. A laundry list is a step in that climb. What matters is you're gaining experience to the point where you become fluid in your ability to express yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you gain fluidity like that in your expression, that's when you reach the peak of shit mountain and you will now be coming down the other side. That is also the point where people that read your work suddenly have a different experience of it. They suddenly no longer thinking about the fact that you were writing it. They are now consuming the work uh, uh, by itself. Up until that point, anyone that reads writing can hear you doing it. It's like, <laughs> it's like a person who talks when, when they write. You can hear them doing it. Once you become fluid, you as the author of whatever that is, you disappear, which is as it should be. And uh, the article itself is there alone. And that's when you've reached a, a point of fluidity that matters. And that's when your readers will begin to really trust and recognize your authority because they will not have to think about the words they're reading. Oh, that's so beautiful. And yeah, wow. I agree with you 1000%. And I just see all the the roadblocks for lawyers. Um, but the one that sort of is just vying for my attention right now is, well, you know, I've, I've written so much. I mean, lawyers are considered to be professional writers, uh, all through law school, all through my practice. I'm constantly writing, constantly writing, but it's a different type of writing. And the writing that you're talking about is the sort of authentic, get to the core, more expressive writing. Well, yes and no. I, I will say that lawyers have a shorter path. Their mountain is not as tall as most people's, or at least it's not as steep. Um, because of what you said, you know, I have a, a lot of lawyers in my family. I'm married to a lawyer. I'm friends with lawyers. I work for lawyers. And, uh, and the fact is they are, you said it, they're writers. You know, a lawyer is just an attack librarian. That's what they are. <laughs> and, and so words are part of their life and concision is part of their life. So they're miles ahead of most people that start writing and they do express themselves when they write a brief, when they're writing, uh, you know, internal communications and such, they do express themselves. It's professional writing, but it is still, um, they're still yards and miles ahead of, of other people that are starting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the content that you put in your blog does have to reflect your firm. And so it, if what you're writing about is stuff that if your firm deals with things, if your firm deals with pharma, all right, then your articles are probably going to be fairly technical. 
And, and so that's, you know, it's understandable that a, a person who engages in professional writing like a lawyer is going to be able to write a technical article that's pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that lawyers are in a lot of ways ahead of most people that start to write. However, there is something to be said for the purpose of writing and the purpose of writing in law. It's so precise and it's so targeted. And it's so uh, there's such concision in it that it is a different kind of writing than what you see in a blog post that is meant to inform your average reader. Most people that are average readers that are given a, a case brief to read will probably throw it across the room after the third paragraph, if they even make it to the third paragraph. Um, law writing is not exciting, except to lawyers. <laughs> uh, not all of us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like I said, I my sister-in-law and my wife can sit down and go over a, a a paragraph in a brief or something like that, the way that other people would go over a, a piece of, you know, Virgil's poetry. They're just like, oh my God, look at that. Oh my God, look at that. And I'm just staring at them going, what is, what is wrong with you guys? Who hurt you? you know, it's because the writing is so, uh, it's so lifeless. And, but that's because its purpose is not to express. Its purpose is exclusively to inform and to persuade. So that is a completely different kind of writing. Yeah, and I think really important to make uh, make that distinction. One thing that you said a couple of times uh, that I thought was worthwhile highlighting is that you know readers actually hear your writing while they're reading. It's not just a, yeah. a visual kind of thing. It's like you know as we're reading, we're like sounding things out. So there's that that aspect of it as well. So. I know one thing that I'm a huge um, advocate of is reading aloud to get a sense. So important. It's absolutely vital because, you know, I tell people sometimes that, you know, uh, uh, you think about writing. Writing is really a, a mysterious and, and, and alchemical kind of wizard level thing that you're doing. Because when I write a, a story and you read it, then what you're hearing is my voice in your head. And that's when you think about it, that's pretty weird. Um, but from a content marketing point of view, I think it's really important that you're respectful of your your reader's mental space when they're reading, because that is your voice that they're hearing in, in their head. And if you haven't taken the time to hear what it sounds like, you're not being very respectful of that inner narrator that they're going to be employing. And I think that that's really vital. And that's another way to build that fluidity that I was talking about before. Because when you're reading what you've written on the page, you'll miss all the mistakes. That's why people can have the, the in a paragraph, because they just won't see it. They, they, if you make a mistake while you're writing, trust me, you will not catch that mistake when you're reading your own writing. That's why you should employ an editor. When you read out loud, however, you can hear you have you experience exactly what your reader is going to experience, and that is it simply can't be emphasized enough how important that is. Anything you read of mine, you can bet your ass that I read it out loud. And it, I mean, I've been doing this for years and years, and I still shut my office door and I prop that thing up on my computer and I read it and I read it out loud. And I, you know, even when I'm on deadline, I do that because I don't want anyone have a reason to stop reading what I've written. And if somebody comes to a part of a sentence that is janky, 
because you didn't take the time to read it out loud to hear what it sounds like in their head, they're going to, they're going to quit and they're going to step out of that article and probably click off of your website. And you just lost them for that dumbest little reason. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. And I find that when people resist at first, once they take that step, it's like they can't turn back because you just really see the power of doing it. So, oh my goodness, Bob, what a great conversation. I can't believe we've been talking about this for so long. Um, but uh, yeah, I just thought perhaps it's time to start thinking about wrapping wrapping up. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything that we didn't touch on that you think would be useful to pass on to listeners. Ah, oh, gee. Um, <laughs> I, that's a hard question to answer. I, I really think that, I think the the reading out loud is one of the most um, underrated things that a person can do to help their writing. Um, it, it, especially when it's, when it's uh, talking about what I was talking about earlier, which is gaining the experience of writing. It's another one of those little hacks that can, you know, kick you up the mountainside a little bit because you learn really quickly how your words go together and how they don't go together. So I think that's one of the ones that's important. The other thing is this, and this is back to me being a snob, but it's, but it's more a snob about business than it is about anything else. And it's why I, you know, I honed my menu down, so to speak. If, if you ever watch uh, Gordon Ramsay in his TV show, um, the one where he rescues restaurants, I don't remember what it's called, but uh, he goes into a restaurant that's failing and the first thing you always see, always in all these shows, is they have 487 things in the menu. They're spread so thin because they're like, we'll cook anything. And what happens is they've got all this food waste because of it. But more importantly, the customer is just waylaid because they're like, how do I pick? What do I get? And then whatever they choose is something they haven't cooked in six months and they pull it out of the freezer and it's terrible. And in my business, when I first started out, you know, the name of my business is Creative Writer Pro. And um, I had gained a lot of experience in, in things that were related to writing, like desktop publishing and, and Photoshop and, and coding and XML files, et cetera, so forth. And, and so the services I offered uh, were kind of like, I'll do anything. And so people hired me to do everything. And eventually I realized that uh, that's not what I should be selling. Hmm. The thing that I should be doing is writing. And so I, change my business. And the only thing I offer is writing. I don't do anything else except SEO editing, which is, you know, that's, I'm already going to be doing that for the articles I write anyway. So it, it's a service that, that is, is very closely related to it, but pretty much my only, I have a one item business service plan and that is to writing. A lawyer should think about that because the way you make money as a lawyer is to resolve a case for a client. And when you resolve that case in court or wherever you resolve it, then you get paid. And so everything you do should be directed towards finishing that case, towards doing your, your billable work. Marketing your company is not billable. And although it is incredibly vital uh, and, and it's the only way you're going to get clients is to market and advertise your company, that doesn't mean it's something that you should spend your time on. You should seriously consider the value between doing article marketing yourself and paying someone to do it for you because you should be directing your time to the thing that you spent years and years training yourself to do well. Yeah. Well said. Well said. And on that point, how can readers find out more information about you? 
Well, um, you can always go to creativewriter.pro, P-R-O. And uh, so that's my business website. Um, you can see examples of my writing and for growth and for editorial reach at allamericanwhiskey.com. And then you can go to my author website to learn about the fiction and nonfiction books that I publish at bullgarlington.com. And of course, always, you can read uh, my writing directed toward lawyers and people in the legal industry at attorneyatwork.com. Fantastic. And you've got a lot of articles in a whole bunch of different areas. So all great reads. So I highly recommend all of those. Thank Uh, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, Bull, thank you so much for sharing all this wonderful information with us and for spending so much time speaking with me. We really, really appreciate it. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L dot com.